What's up, everyone? This is episode number 81 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so I am recording this on Wednesday night. So I want to start off by saying, how about those two basketball games last night? The first one, we had an overtime thriller between the Celtics and Heat. And we saw where guys like Jimmy Butler matter. Okay, he might not score 30 points per game during the season, but he is an absolute alpha. He's a guy who's going to be aggressive when it matters. He's going to get it done. And that was Jimmy Butler last night, that last drive, super impressive. And then you had Bam's block on Jason Tatum. Look, that was a, a good hard drive by Tatum. He cocked the ball back. You know, the odds of him throwing that down or at least drawing a foul were high. Instead, we get one of the cleanest most clutch playoff blocks that we've seen in a long time. In fact, it reminded me of the time when Roy Hibbert sent Carmelo Anthony and the Knicks into the shadow realm back in 2013, which I very much enjoyed. And by the way, the Knicks haven't recovered from that. They've not been to the playoffs in seven years. Um, Speaking of teams coming up short, The Nuggets had a big win over the Clippers, which would be the team that came up short in Game 7. I'm an East Coast guy. I have to get up real early, so unfortunately I had to go to bed at halftime. You know, look, I like Kawhi a lot. A lot of you, though, will know that I'm still salty over Paul George, probably more so than I should be. I don't care. I have no regrets about that one. Um, I have very strong feelings about him. So uh, to see him making excuses after the game and and talking about needing more time to play together uh, and all of that stuff, I really enjoyed that, as did Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Um, If you haven't checked out their Twitter from last night, go ahead and do so. I do need to give credit to the Nuggets, though. You know, I I don't know if I said this in my episode with Ryan. Um, If I didn't, though, I'll say it now. I thought this was a really boring regular season team. And I thought this would be another version of a team that, you know, was on pace for 60 wins and then they just fizzle out in the playoffs. Uh, But they have been anything but boring in the playoffs. I'm sure Ryan's loving this right now. I might have to have him on again in the future when all this dust settles. All right. Uh, As for the rest of today's episode, because this is Remember About Cards, I've got two segments for you. In the first one, I'm going to talk about a couple of mail days. And then I'm going to close today with my first listener mailbag. I've never done one before. I figured it was time. Okay, so there were a number of great packages this week, including a couple of generous gifts from my friends Jason and Kyle. Um, I posted those on my personal Instagram and talked about them a little there. Uh, There were also two other packages that I want to talk about a little bit here. And the first one was an eBay purchase. So, you know... At first, not as personal as some of the cards I've talked about on here, but it's one that I'm definitely excited about. It was a 2018-2019 Panini Status Draft Night Autograph of Aaron Holiday, numbered to 32. And this specific set and year is, in my opinion, the greatest sticker auto set that Panini has ever created. Now, when I say greatest and sticker, for some of you that might sound like an oxymoron, 
Um, but you got to see this thing. It doesn't look like a sticker autograph. And, you know, I might be overlooking one. I might be forgetting one, but I can't think of one that matches this particular set in terms of significance and aesthetics. Um, and those of you that have been listening since the start of the year, you know that I went on quite the status kick. I, I jumped in the game kind of late, but there was still status on the shelf, so I was able to enjoy it some. I went all over looking for blasters. I actually pulled a LeBron James Pursuit Parallel uh, short print in my very first pack that I ever opened of 2018 status, which was insane. Um, I really liked that card, but it got super valuable around the same time that a Ron Artest Logo Man came up, so I don't have that anymore. I, I settled with the Oladipo for $6. I'm perfectly fine with that. But um, there were some other aspects of this product I really liked. It has some credentials like mirrored numbering. There were a few of the parallels that look really good. Overall, it was just a solid release, and uh, so of course Panini killed it for this season. But um, anyway, like I said, this is a great looking sticker auto that you, you really wouldn't know that it's a sticker auto just by looking at it. And the reason for that is on draft night, Panini has all the draft picks signed 32 of these jumbo stickers. And there's kind of in the background, it says draft, I think draft and then the year of the draft or something, or maybe NBA draft. I don't remember exactly what it says. So um, but they have them sign them on draft night. So with a player like Luca, where there's been some autograph controversy, there's no debating that he actually signed these. A Panini rep was there and guided him through the process. And I've posted pictures before. We have pictures of Zion signing these stickers. We've seen different guys signing these stickers. Um, and they don't use them immediately, though. They, they keep them. And then later in the year, they take these 32 stickers and they somehow frame them in a card. Uh, I what I think they've done and, and maybe someone can correct me on this I was talking to someone on Twitter this week and him and I were kind of going back and forth and I was pretty sure of myself and then I said you know what I think you're right so what I think that they did is that they put this sticker on top of a piece of acetate and kind of sandwiched it in the card so there's like a shadow box effect you can see the shadow of the signature at the bottom of the card and it just looks really cool and I've been looking for an Aaron Holiday version of this card since January. One finally showed up on eBay. I got it for the opening bid of $30, which, by the way, obviously much cheaper than the Luca version. So to sum up, great looking card, significant content, long-term chase. It checks off a number of boxes and was pretty exciting for me. So I will make sure that that gets on my social media so you can see that. Uh, next one. I got a package from a listener named Kirk, and I actually met Kirk at the National in 2019. I talked about it a little bit in my recap, but just to go over that again, it was a pretty crazy story. Prior to the show, he bought a Wax Museum podcast shirt, which, and I, and I knew, you know, not many of those had sold, and I'm not really making a huge active push to sell those. It's just, they're there if you want them, Right. So he bought one of the shirts and planned to wear it to the national so he could um, hopefully run into me, right? That would be something that would probably get my attention if I saw it because he didn't have any other way to contact me at the time. It's like putting the bat signal in the sky, except maybe on a really cloudy night, right? Because there's a lot of people at the national. Well, believe it or not, we did run into one another, which is wild. And um, 
you know, my this podcast is a small show, right? It's not a, a big time show. Well, it was much smaller in August of 2019. So the fact that, you know, he listened then, he bought the shirt, he wore it to the national where there's tons of people. We ran into one another. It was really cool. And um, we have been friends since then. We talk vintage cards. You know, we talk Lakers. We talk modern cards. He's been so generous and supportive of me since then. And this mail day is a is yet another example of that. So I get this. I get his package in the mail. He told me it was coming, and there are instructions that go along with it. So I'm going to read those off so you guys can play along too. So maybe you can put yourself in my position when I'm about, you know, there's the anticipation of opening this card, but I've got to read this letter first, um, you know, and I want to read this letter and see what he has to say. So he said, Kyle, I know you're a Pacers fan, and this is a card you probably would not purchase for yourself. I know you appreciate the history of basketball, and you need to have this card in your collection for the following reasons. Okay, and he's going to, he's got a whole list here for me. Number one, this person was a participant in the NCAA championship game, Kentucky versus Texas Western. And he said, if you haven't watched Glory Road, the movie Glory Road, you need to, which I haven't. So I need to do that. Um, He said, it's a very significant game in the history of basketball. Number two, this person is the first North American sports figure to win a championship as a player, assistant coach head coach, and as an executive. Okay, so I'm starting to get an idea here. Uh, Number three, this person won NBA championships as a coach for two different franchises. Okay, so guys, think about who that could be. All right, number four, this person was on the losing end of NBA Game 7 championship games um, for two different franchises as a head coach. Okay, next clue. This person has won five NBA championships as a head coach. So he said, you probably guessed the person by now, um, but he didn't name it yet. He didn't name it on this letter. He closed the letter by saying, last but not least, this card is extremely condition sensitive, very hard to find one close to centered. With the new money in the hobby chasing vintage, people will soon realize how tough and scarce this card is. I hope you enjoy this card. If you want to sell or trade to acquire some more Jeff Foster cards, I am fine with that as well. So what card was it? Well, if you haven't guessed it by now, um, it was a 1970 Topps Pat Riley rookie. It was a PSA 8, and I was absolutely blown away by this. I definitely won't be selling it for Jeff Foster cards. Um, you know, I was watching the game last night, and they panned to Pat Riley in the stands. He was you know, kind of watching on like the godfather. I thought to myself, man... This guy really has done a lot in the NBA. Um, you know, had a lot of great teammates, coached a lot of great players, signed a lot of great players. You know, a lot of historic signings. Um, so, you know, it is awesome. And now I have a great looking NBA rookie of his. So, Kirk, thank you for always allowing me to bounce ideas or questions off of you about cards. Thank you so much for your generosity in the past, and thanks again for this wonderful Pat Riley card. It's going in my rookie collection, and I'm very happy to own it. All right, well, before I move into today's main segment, I'm going to talk once again about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are some costs that go into running a podcast, so I've signed up for the Fanatics affiliate program. Several of you have already purchased items using this link. Thank you. That means a lot to me that you would support the show in this way. 
So whether you want to buy some Paul George shirts to use as shop towels in your garage, or maybe you want to show your team spirit with a set of NBA masks at work, whatever NBA gear you're looking for, there's a good chance that Fanatics has it. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod and click the Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It is a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. Okay, so here we are. We're 81 episodes in. And I decided, you know, I want to try something different. Okay, and who knows if it works. Maybe you'll you'll hear this and say, oh, you know, that wasn't very good. Um, but I, want to try, I wanted to try a listener mailbag because the truth of the matter is I get a lot of questions throughout the week and I try to get to all of them. And, and sometimes that means I have to tell people, hey, message me this later. You know, I'm not at a moment where I can give you a, a, a real quality answer. So shoot me a message later so I don't forget because I do like to give people's questions um, the attention that they deserve. So if I don't answer your question, it's not intentional. It either got lost in the shuffle or you know, maybe because I'm in Instagram jail, I missed something or it never showed up in my notifications. But um, with that being said, a lot of you know that I'm a teacher. And one thing I've found over the years, if one person has a question, there's a good chance a lot of other people have that same question or a lot of other people uh, would benefit from hearing the answer. And I want to preface all of this by saying I don't see myself as the ultimate expert on a lot of card stuff. Some of this will simply be me weighing in with my opinion. Um, and while I, I've thought these out quite a bit, there are some aspects of the hobby where you need to listen to other perspectives as well in an effort to come to your own conclusion. So everybody goes about this in a different way. Thanks to everyone that submitted questions. There were some about me, some about the hobby in general, some about specific sets. I've been looking forward to this one, so let's get this thing started. Okay, question number one comes from a listener named Luke. He said, how did you begin the journey to be where you are now? And then also, where do you hope to see yourself in five years as far as the hobby goes? So when he first sent me this, I asked for a little clarification. I said, do you mean my collecting journey? Or do you mean the process of you know, becoming a content creator? And he responded, why not both? So that's what I'm going to do here real quick. And I know I've told bits and pieces of this before, but I got really into basketball around 1995. I was seven years old at the time. A lot of my friends were really into Penny and Michael Jordan back then. Uh, and I liked those guys too, but I started watching the Hoosiers and the Pacers with my dad. So Reggie Miller was always my guy. We would go out to the driveway and try to make three pointers because, well, that's what Reggie did, and that you know that was before the league was dominated by three point shooting. So um, it was kind of a, a bit before his time. So I've collected on and off since then. I took two main breaks from 2000 to 2003. I really didn't have much to do with cards. And then my family moved to Florida, and at the same time, you know, I needed kind of a, a hobby. At the same time, there was this rookie named LeBron James. He drew me back in. That year was a blast, even though I was, you know, I was in high school. I was just opening low-end stuff, but it was an absolute blast. I'm very thankful that I was back in the hobby at that time. I left again around 2007 and actually collected baseball for a while. So 
Um, I was still in the hobby, but not. There were a couple of a few years there where I wasn't following basketball cards as much, even though I was still watching games. And I came back between 2009 and 2010, and that's when you know Panini grabbed the exclusive, and the hobby landscape had changed drastically. And I've pretty much been here ever since. Um, as far as the podcast goes, there were when I started this show, there were already a couple of shows out there. Of course, you had Adam, the the real twenty seven guy. His started years ago. His is the first one that I know of. I enjoyed listening to that one, but he had taken a break, so I was kind of bummed out. You know, I I liked having that content. Um, Josh had Cardboard Chronicles on YouTube, um, and I liked tuning into that every week to see people show off their collections. And then um, you had House of Jordans, which uh, was spaced out a little bit more. I think they were once a month at that point. And I was kind of talking to them on what the creation process looked like. And, you know, I realized over time, hey, I wish there was more content out there. In fact, I think I made a thread on Blowout asking if there were more shows devoted to just basketball. And as time went on, I'd watch these shows and I'd listen to them and I'd think, well, you know, if I hosted, I would do such and such different. Um, Or I wish I could take such and such element from one show and apply it to the other. And, and that's nothing against any of the shows. Um, you know, I'm sure some of you listen to this show and you think, you know, well, here's something I would do different. And after a while, I said to myself, well, you know, I'm not going to expect those people to make changes to their shows. Why don't I just make a go of this and, and try it myself? And the rest is history. So that was, you know, 81 weeks ago. I haven't missed a week since then. Um... I've learned a lot along the way. I'm proud of my work at the same time. You know, there are some things I would do differently. There are some things I maybe would say or some things I wouldn't say if I could do it again. I recognize that the show is always evolving, but it's been a great ride. And then um, the last part of that question, where do you hope to see yourself in five years as far as the hobby goes? You know, I think I'll definitely still be collecting. If there's one thing I've learned at this point, um, I shouldn't sell my stuff because I'm never really going to leave, right? So I'll always have that itch to come back. You know, in five years, I'll probably have kids. I'm sure my hobby time will be cut back, but I'll learn to adapt with the times and and circumstances as always. Um, I doubt I'll still be hosting a podcast in five years, but who knows? You know, you never know. All right. Uh, Next question came from a listener named Anthony and he said what's a good system you've found that allows you to enjoy the hobby but not overspend okay so I want to preface this answer especially by saying that um, some of these points I'm going to give you are just suggestions and not absolutes because I might propose a system that works great for me but not so well with other people and especially in this case when it comes to numbers because I kind of just track things in my head and I that's super dangerous and I understand that it works really well for me just with the way that I remember things and you know maybe if I buy lots on eBay I'll take a screenshot with the price so I know what I have into something and I can kind of go through my screenshots on my phone and and refer to that if I need to um, a couple other suggestions I might have for people Know how much is in your PayPal at all times and don't spend money that you don't have or that you can't get quickly. 
I know that last part kind of sounds strange, um, but I added that because I, I like to have nice cards on standby as, as kind of equity. And these are cards that I'm not in a hurry to get rid of, but also I wouldn't mind getting rid of it if something better came along. Uh, and they're also cards I know that I, I should, that, you know, should move quick. So like hot players, hot sets, rookies, and so on. So let's say I have an expensive card that I'm pursuing. I'm not going to liquidate my entire uh, trade stash or equity stash in order to build up PayPal ahead of time. I know people that do that. And, you know, if you have to do that, that's that's your choice. I understand that. Um, but then if you lose that auction, you now have money, which is fine. But a lot of people in the hobby have money, but you have nothing to trade or nothing that will appreciate over time. So like I you know I feel like a LeBron James card is going to keep climbing. I'd rather have that card than money. And when I need the money, you know, the longer I hold it, probably the more it will appreciate. So um, I'll wait until I've won a card, and then I'll move to secure the rest of the funds using cards that I know will get to me at that point. Um, I should also point out that I usually stay away from breaking wax. It's like driving a new car off the lot, but. Well, now instead of losing half the value of the car, you lose like 80%. And, uh, you know, I know things have been all over the place this year. Those numbers might not line up exactly, but um, even before prices got out of control, I was very selective with my wax purchases. So, all right, to sum up on that question, in order to not overspend, you just have to prioritize. Uh, I choose singles over wax. I know what I have to spend. I know what equity I have on hand, and I never put myself in a dangerous position. And that leads us into the next question. Um, this is from slangandrocks.pc. He said, how do you feel about current wax prices? And he talks about his, his uh, few Panini boxes that he's bought and how you know those boxes are selling for what he paid for cases of upper deck, uh, low to mid-tier products back in the day. So as I mentioned earlier, I thought buying wax was brutal before prices went crazy. And there was there was even one point in 2018 that I stopped buying prison blasters because I got tired of pulling the same dollar Bradley Beal relic. Um, and there's definitely an experience cost that needs to be factored into wax, but it's usually a, a quick rip and it's over. And I'd rather spend that same amount of uh, money on a specific card that I can enjoy for years. Something I can give or sell to someone else down the road if need be. Something I can use to narrate the history of the sport and the hobby. But then again, there's no real surprise factor in that. You know exactly what you're buying. Um, That works well for me because I'm a no surprises kind of guy. But um, I am still disappointed in prices though because I would rip an occasional box and I, I've joked before about how I think hoop sucks, and I'll talk about that later. But it was nice to know that I could spend twenty dollars on a Walmart trip and and get a cheap rip now and then. Um, those days are gone, and I have to find other ways to get a similar experience. Um, I'll close this question by saying, I hear people talking about the outright outrageous prices of wax, uh, and in my head, I think you know if it bothers you so much, stop buying it. Because if enough people stop buying, prices will normalize. At the same time, I know that's not realistic because it, you know it's easy for me to say because I never broke a lot of wax to begin with. 
Um, so, you know, I do feel bad for people that really like ripping wax. Um, so in short, I don't feel good about current wax prices. I'm not buying any hobby at current prices. I will buy retail if I see it, but it's been a while. The last time I found something was one of the optic reloads. Okay, next question comes from a user with the handle, the monthly card. And they said, what is the most affordable way to complete sets? So I don't know if I can give you the most affordable way, but I'm going to throw out some ideas that might help you out because you know it's hard to answer this question. I don't know if you're working on the 1990 hoop set or 2003 exquisite. They would have vastly different approaches. So let's say you're searching for a base or an insert set. Um, my number one suggestion would be COMC, which for those of you that don't know, it stands for check out my cards. The benefit of using COMC is that you can make offers on cards and you can combine shipping. My second suggestion would be find other people that are chasing the same set. You know, Maybe you'll end up trading. Maybe you'll share tips and tricks. Maybe you'll work something out where you don't bid one another up. Don't go about this alone. Uh, number three, uh, suggestion three, if it's a current set, get to know people that are breaking a lot of the product. If you can save them the hassle of listing or pricing cards, it might be mutually beneficial. And then lastly, look for lots that include some of your set cards. I'm really big on this approach. It might cost you a lot of time, but if you can move some of the other cards in the lot, you might end up getting the ones you need for free or at little cost. Um, and then if you've made friends with other people that are doing these sets, as I suggested earlier, you can trade out your doubles. Okay. So that was just four suggestions. I'm sure if you throw that question out there on social media, you might get a lot of other good responses. Next question comes from Pack to the Future podcast, which I can't recommend enough. Um, my favorite podcast to listen to right now, that's card related. Every Saturday morning, they've got a new episode, so make sure you check that out. So they ask, what is the best source for finding information about card shows? They said, we don't seem to have many here out west, but maybe I'm not looking in the right spots for information. So here's what I'd say. Um, When I first started doing local shows, I'd go on Google, and because I live in Florida, I'd search Florida card shows. Sports Collectors Digest has a pretty good list that's sorted by state. Um, I know in this case, Pack to the Future, you guys are based out of Utah. Well, there's nothing on that site for Utah, so you might have to dig a little deeper. And I've had pretty good luck on Facebook. A lot of the shows will promote on there. They'll actually pay. If they're a bigger show, they'll pay to promote on Facebook. Um, I would also check with your local card shop. There's a good show in your area. There's a good chance that your card shop is either setting it up or they're at that show. And then once you find a good show or even a small show, ask around because a lot of the dealers, uh, at least the ones here in Florida, they'll set up at multiple shows and, and they can always give me a general overview of what's going on in the area. Um, my last suggestion, if all else fails, Maybe there, maybe there aren't card shows in Utah. I don't know. I've never been there. Maybe you could start your own. That'd be interesting, right? A Pack to the Future podcast inaugural card show. All right, next question comes from a user named Mysticata. I think I said that right. 
Uh, he said, what is a good approach for valuing one of ones? And my advice is this. There are so many one ones these days. So it's rare for there to be a one one that isn't similar to another one that's already hit the market. You know, maybe it was the year before. Maybe it's a similar player. Maybe it's from the same set. Um, you can't just go by the caliber of player either. You have to look at players that sell for similar amounts and how popular these players are. If it's one that you're looking to sell, you know, I would just say throw it on eBay with a with a high unrealistic buy it now and see what kind of offers roll in. And I know that opinion is people are going to be divided on that. Some will say, you know, you might scare people off. Um, so this is just my opinion, but I figure if someone really wants the card, they're not going to be scared off and they'll probably send you an offer that at least is a good starting point or one that's fair. Okay. The next question comes from a user named Frisbee Steve. He said, I would love to hear your, I would love to hear you opine on provenance. I feel like too many people just take others word about things. Are there other objective provenance related things that I'm overlooking? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of this hobby that revolves around trust. And while there are a lot of good people in the hobby, there are still a lot of people out there that will abuse people's trust in an effort to make a dollar. And um, there are some places we can go to track card history to an extent. Like WorthPoint will show you some older auctions to a certain date, but even that's not foolproof. You know, what's to say that Someone doesn't pull a, a one color Zion RPA and they don't pull it on camera. It's not in a group break and they swap out that patch and they alter it before anyone else can see it and then they auction it off. You know, we can't always ascertain exactly what happened. But I would say, you know, something you want to look for is continuity. For example, if you have a Kevin Durant RPA, and, and let's say, you know, I don't know an exact number, let's say 70 of the patches are trim, and that's a pretty high percentage of the print run, um, you know, that's something to keep in mind. Or if you see, like, the Anthony Davis RPAs, a lot of them um, run in sequence. So, like, you might have six patches in a row that are nameplate pieces. That doesn't happen with every player, but certain players it might. Um you know, just that's something to keep in mind. Um, unfortunately, though, people can, you know, manipulate that as well. So it's tricky. One good thing, though, that we have working for us now is that so much product is pulled on camera. And, I, you know, I think there are some definite downfalls of group breaking. I've talked about that before. But this is not one of them. You know, a lot of the big products that are opened on camera where people can see them coming out of the box now, that's really helpful when it comes to um, tracing that card's ownership in the future. So, you know, Steve, I wish I had a better answer for you, but a lot of it's still going to revolve around trust. And unfortunately, people will continue to get burned. Okay, um, three more submissions from people before I close this one out. This one comes from John. He said, do you think the upcoming U.S. election might have an impact on the sports card market? I read that question and I thought, danger, danger. Um, I will try and give it a, a, an honest attempt though here. I, I think all major elections are going to affect the economy in general, but I'm not in much of a position to provide political commentary or market commentary. 
Um, you know, if you think about it, uh, I'm just thinking of different candidates. There was one in the primaries named Andrew Yang, and he was talking about giving everyone a thousand bucks. You know, I suppose if something like that were to happen, collectors would would obviously spend that on cards, or if there's any major tax cuts, or if there's another stimulus from somebody. You know, I'm sure all of us are going to use at least a portion of that on cards, but I can't tell you who the most pro-card candidate might be. Um, the the follow-up question, he, he had another one here. He said, will Jeff Foster run for president? It's a great question. Uh, in this scenario, I would obviously be his campaign manager. I'll assume that role. And at this time, I can't officially comment on my client's political prospects but the shirts are being printed. You can have either of these. Um, speak softly, but set hard picks, which is, of course, a nod to Teddy Roosevelt. Or there's one that simply says, America will rebound. Take your pick. All right. Uh, the penultimate question of the episode comes from Jason, a.k.a. Small Town. And he said, why is your love for hoops so deep? Um. I'm going to point out, this question is him being facetious. Okay, I know, Jason, it's him being facetious. So I made a comment, and keep in mind, is in context, right? And I'll, I'll set up the context here in a moment. And maybe I said it a couple times, but I said hoops sucks. Okay, and there were some hoops enthusiasts out there that were not happy about that. Actually, you know what? I think the person that originally said it, was Mrs. Wax Museum. So let me run through my history with hoops real quick, which predates me knowing Mrs. Wax Museum. Let me clear the air here. I started watching basketball and collecting around 1995, which I said earlier. In fact, I remember getting hoops cards then, and two of them, for whatever reason, that stick out in my mind, uh, well, I can tell you why. It was a Chris Webber block party insert because it looked different than all the other cards, and I thought, you know, this thing's got to be super valuable. It looks so cool. Um, it's not. All right, and then the other one was a Brendan Malone Raptors coach card, because remember, that's when the Raptors were an expansion team. Um, you know, it stuck out to me because it was a coach card, so there were multiple reasons why it's like, wow, this card seems pretty unique. Um, and, I, you know, I like coach cards. They're part of the team, too. I think I'm one of the few people that enjoyed getting them in 2017 Prism. So, you know, I was definitely early in my collecting journey. I was into hoops. 97 hoops is probably my favorite 90s base set because it just screams 90s. I'm talking all cards, not just hoops. I have a Reggie Miller copy that's signed in blue. It looks awesome. Um, in the 2000s, the brand kind of evolved into Hoops Hot Prospects, which was a, a key low-end rookie patch set. So I, I appreciated that. The brand went away for a while. Um, eventually, Panini acquired the rights. They brought it back in 2011 after the lockout. So I was pumped about that. That was you know, one of their first announcements post-lockout. It was a really classic-looking set. It was nostalgic. I was doing in-person autographs at the time. It was a nice, cheap set for that. So you know, I was happy. I just wished it had some rookies in it. Um, I ripped hoops the next couple of years. It was just a good, low-end product. It was important for us that we're doing in-person autographs because it was the first set of the year. And that was, you know, that for rookies, that was our only card of the rookie. So we rushed to get that hoop stuff. So it was very important. But 
after everything else came out, though, these rookies just didn't hold any value. In fact, I held a Giannis that I pulled for, I, I held it for six years. I finally sold it for 20 or $30. I think it was at the beginning of 2019, because at the time, $30 was really high for a hoops rookie. Now, I've since started a rookie card collection. I wish I had it back. It is what it is. But, um, you know, I mentioned earlier I'd buy the Hoops Blasters. Um, they were always on the shelf. You know, I didn't really, they didn't mean much be, kind of because they were always there. And, um, you know, I don't rip a lot of wax, like I said. But um, my wife and I did start ripping a lot of Prism Retail in 2017. And then we ripped a lot in 2018. She just likes to open the packs. I get all the cards afterwards, but I think there's something about opening packs that appeals to everyone. It's like a mini version of Christmas. Um, except for when she decided she wanted us to open a hobby box of 2018 hoops. And I warned her, it's not shiny like Prism. It's really not like great hits. You're not going to like it. There's nothing in there that's going to stick out to you. And boxes were $75 out at the time. <laughs> that seemed, you know, that's funny now, but I felt like I was about to throw $75 down the drain. Um, okay, one Craig Hodges sticker auto later, I can confirm, yes, we did throw $75 down the drain. And her exact response, not mine, was, wow, hoop sucks. I said, you know what? Yeah, yes, it does. So I kind of latched onto that mindset when I saw all of the uh, invest boys really gravitate towards hoops. I'd been I'd been flipping hoops rookies for small profits here and there. You know, if I could, I was buying Kawhi's and Anthony Davis's for like four dollars, selling them at a local show for eight, right? Um, so it wasn't like I was I was hitting big on them, and I didn't think they would ever have a huge jump. And of course, I was basing this off of my hobby history from 1995 to 2019. That's why we study history, because a lot of these cycles repeat. Well, as you guys know, the theme of this 2019-2020 season is Weird Al's Everything You Know Is Wrong. And enough people bought into this mindset, and, and all of these hoops rookies made a big jump. And I thought it was kind of goofy. Um, I still think ripping hoops hobby boxes sucks, even at the old prices. Um, the cards themselves, though, aren't that bad. I like the you know traditional aspect of them. I like the white borders. But um, for all my hoops aficionados out there, I'm, I mean, I'm talking to you, Jason and Steve, right? I appreciate hoops and the mark that it's made on hobby history. I have some hoops cards that I really like. I'm going to do pretty well on some Zion Hoops rookies that I picked up at $4 a piece. In fact, about a dozen of them. And Hoops still sucks. All right. The last question. It's a good one. comes from a listener named Josh. He wrote, I'd be very interested on your thoughts on a modern day PMG. And for those of you that might be newer to the hobby, PMG stands for Precious Metal Gems. It's a very popular and iconic set from the 90s. If, if you're on any sort of basketball card social media, you'll see them. Okay, they're out there. Um, the short answer is this. I don't think we're going to see anything that has the significance and appeal of the PMG ever again. And remember, this is just my opinion, but let me explain why. 
there are so many factors about this set that appeal to collectors that are very much a product of the times. So even if Panini created a card that had similar numbering or similar aesthetics, um, even similar players, it probably wouldn't carry the same weight. Because when the original PMGs came out, inserts had, they had started to pick up some steam in the years that led up to it. And serial numbered cards were just coming onto the scene. And, you know, but we had some, they were numbered to like 1,000 or 2,700. But these PMGs were really rare. Your red copies were numbered to 90. Your green copies were numbered to 10. Um, so that was a pretty big innovation at that time. I know we had other cards that were numbered to 100, but um, to have the you know, two different colors that made up the same print run, that was something that was different. That was something that was really cool. Well, you know, now by 2020, we've seen all sorts of numbering configurations. So anything that follows will just seem like it's repeating the past. Also in that original PMG set, you had a, a great mix of legends and common players. So really everyone in the hobby could participate. On one end, you've got your Jordans, your Kobe's, your T Macs, um, uh, and you know I'll put Reggie Miller in that category because he has a, a big following. I'll never own a Reggie Miller, but I do have a Dale Davis. I I bought them when they I bought it when they were still somewhat affordable. So having that, even though I I didn't quite get the appeal at the time, but having it now and and really reflecting on it and seeing those cards go up in value. It makes me feel like I'm part of something special, even though I don't have one of the real big name players. Um, as far as the aesthetics and the design of the card, the red and the green foil really pop. Um, you know, I know any when you say a modern PMG, you're not talking about a an exact duplicate. I know that's what you mean. It doesn't have to have the foil design, but I think for a card to have that kind of status now, it would need a, a new and innovative design. And quite frankly, you know, we've had 23 years of design since then and innovation since then. So we're getting a lot of repeat technologies or spins on technologies that we've already had. So my answer is no. I don't think there's any modern set right now that could carry the same prestige as a PMG. You know, not even something like Galactics. And I'm also not counting on Panini to create something that could turn into a modern day PMG. I just think the deck is stacked against them, and, and it's an unrealistic expectation. Um, like I said at the start, a lot of the PMG appeal is a result of the era that it came out in. All right, well, there you have it. That was um, my first listener mailbag. I hope you enjoyed that. I tried to get all the questions that I could today. Maybe you agree with me on some points. Maybe you think I'm off on others. Shoot me a message on social media. Reply to my episode announcement post. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. Yes, I'm still in Instagram jail for some reason. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, though, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. Or shop through my Fanatics link and I'll get a small cut. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.